My name is Kelvin Cole, and I'm here in Berlin today, and I have the honor to be part of a wonderful Hugo campaign. It's really interesting. I released a song not too long ago that's actually called Hope slash I Wonder. Um, and it was uh, like right at the, I was about to say peak of Corona season, but I feel like we're currently partially maybe still right in the peak. Who knows where this is going to go to. And um, I put out the song because I felt like a lot of music that's been coming out in the recent years hasn't, uh, I mean, there are always great artists, but a lot of the music in the mainstream particularly doesn't have a lot of substance to it. It doesn't make me, you know, the old heads, they always say, oh, I miss the feeling, I miss the soul. And then I said, damn, maybe it's time to put out a song that um, deals exactly with that. That is, you know, the whole world is sitting at home, everybody is at home having to, you know, face themselves, quite frankly, and everything else that's going on in the world. And I wanted to put something out that lets people know that they're not alone and that inspires them and um, literally spreads some hope. Hope usually is sort of associated with that vague concept of, right, something is going on, you're going maybe through hardship, and then it's like, oh, you should just sit there and hope for the better and not do anything. No, that's, to me personally, that's not what hope is about. To me personally, Hope is, on the one hand, you work for what you want to, you know, achieve, where you want to get to. But then on the other hand, there are certain things that go on in this world that you cannot necessarily directly influence, right, or influence the outcome. And there's this whole bigger process that goes on, like, in the universe, as esoteric as it might sound. But hope is having trust in the fact that it will all work out and it will all make sense. But, you know, you gotta, you gotta make that journey, you gotta make that run, and then once you arrive, you look back, it's like, ah, okay, that's why this and that happened. Now it's making sense. But as you go through it, it doesn't necessarily always, and hope is that, almost that foresight, that certainty, that whatever you believe in will provide for you, even if you're an atheist, man. The song that I performed is called Hope slash I Wonder, and, um, yeah, this song literally deals with the question of like, I wonder what it means to be like you. Um, and it's kind of putting myself in the shoes, in the position of somebody else and thinking, trying to, trying to empathize and relate to them, think about, okay, what must it feel like to be a woman, a black woman, uh, I don't know, a Muslim, a Jew, a homosexual, a transsexual, whatever, whoever is considered a minority within society, right? It's like, and you know, myself as a black man being, or being mixed race, being half white, half black in that sense, um, it's like, I think what we lack nowadays a lot is empathy. Everybody's like very concerned about, no, I'm right. My opinion is the only opinion that should be accepted. And then, you know, other people are like, no, I'm, you know, I'm right and you're wrong and blah, blah, blah. And it's kind of like, yeah, there are certain things, you know, we can't tolerate intolerance yet at the same time. It's like, I think we don't ask ourselves often enough what must it feel like to be that other person and what are the reasons behind what they do and the way they see the world. And I think if we sort of try to pay more attention to that, it, will, it would make the dialogue a lot, of, a lot easier. I'm not saying 
everyone deserves a conversation. There are some people who clearly don't. But on the grand scheme of things, uh, I think uh, yeah, we should show more empathy for one another, especially in times like these. Because, you know, Corona or the recession that's going to hit us does not care about your political opinion or your gender or sexuality. It's going to affect you. And I think we have to keep that in the back of our mind. I mean, moving to London was one of the scariest things that I did back then. I was 19, just graduated high school. I just dropped out of a law school scholarship program. I, you know, came back home, told my parents, yo, I'm going to be a rapper. And um, I originally grew up in Germany in a fairly small city. So nobody really understood what I was about with my music because I was always rapping and writing in English. And I figured, okay, I got to go to a place where they understand what I, like really, really understand what I say. And then, um, yeah, I, at the end of the day, once I decided to move to the UK to go to London, like I knew nobody, I had no money, I had no friends, I had like a bit of family there, but I was pretty much on my own. And it was a very, very tough time. Like there was nights I slept like literally behind dumpsters and on the street. I've gone through like a lot of crazy shit there. But in regards to hope, that is like what kept me alive, you know, that's what kept me going. And even before that in my youth, just, you know, growing up, it's um, a lot of situations that I've dealt with where hope, there were like nights and periods where I would say I lost hope, but somehow not completely, otherwise I wouldn't be here today, right? Um, and that's why to me personally, it is such a powerful word and it's such a powerful term Somebody that was very close to me once asked me, like, yo, you know, why, why am I dealing with all of this? Why, why, you know, am I facing all these hardships and so on? And I literally said, listen, if, if, I don't know, God is a farmer and you're a donkey and you're supposed to carry a weight from A to B, like, you're not going to be overburdened. You're going to only have to carry, you will only carry the weight that you can actually manage to carry. So as heavy as it might sound and as heavy as it might feel, and as heavy as it might look, it won't break you. Otherwise, you wouldn't be burdened with this. And that's, again, trusting that process and having hope. So unless, you know, if you're an athlete and you're running and you're working out and you're, you're in the gym, like, unless that shit burns and it hurts, it won't make you grow. As long as you're comfortable, you're not going to excel, you're not going to proceed, you're not going to grow. And, um, yeah. I mean, if you are in that particular moment, in that instance of being like, I don't know, evicted, arrested, you sit in a cell, you're depressive, you're sick, whatever, sometimes it feels like it doesn't make sense. But like anybody that has overcome adversity, die times, hardships, will be able to confirm that, you know, you grow from that stuff. 2020 forced me to, to slow down to slow down with my lifestyle, to slow down on the traveling, to slow down with, you know, work as an artist. I've been basically touring nonstop for the last two and a half years. I was, you know, I'd be like three days in New York, then I'll be a week in Paris, then I'll be another four days in London. And blah, like, I was literally flying nonstop. And then once I left LA and I came back to Germany and I stayed, you know, with my, with my family during uh, quarantine, I was like, 
the first week it drove me crazy. I felt like I had to do something. I was not being productive. And all of a sudden I realized, damn, I'm sleeping longer. I'm dreaming more intensively. I'm, I feel more energized. And I realized that I was forced to take time off. And that was a time off I would have never, ever, ever, ever taken on my own. But <laughs> the universe or a bat from Wuhan, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> but something forced me to take that time off. And, <laughs> and it, was, it was amazing, though, because I, I'm very, I recognize my privilege in saying that, you know, I'm still, I'm, I'm still doing well, so I was able to enjoy that time off. I had nobody in my eminent environment impacted by, by the virus. But, um, I, you know, I had a lot of time to really dig into who I am, what I want, what I'm, again, aligning myself more with the things, the reason why I started making music and being an artist, you know, pulling away from the industry and the super competitiveness and the money and the this and that, and just be like, what are you doing it for? And does this even, the direction you're heading, and does it make you happy, blah, blah, you know, asking all these questions, reflecting. And uh, so yeah, to me, 2020 was a year of reflecting and revelations. When you sign a record deal, you get an advance sum, right? You give, they give you money, and then you're like, oh, damn, okay, I made it. I got, you know, I got a check, and now I'm signed, and I'm going to be famous. But that's not how it works. Once you sign, the real hustle starts. And if we fast forward sort of two years, I recognized, I realized, like, oh, okay, this wasn't working out the way I wanted it to work out. So I said I got to go. The contract was, however, still on, so I offered them cash and I said I'm going to buy myself out and I'm going to take back the rights to my music and why it's important to own the rights to your music if you know what to do with them it is basically every time somebody streams your song on the internet or if somebody buys a CD I don't know who makes CDs uh, but you know whatever um, then there's money being generated and the money goes directly to whoever owns the rights. So if you're an artist and you sign to the label and the label owns your rights, somebody streams your music, you as an artist are not making money. The label is making money because that's why they paid you that, that check. So technically you, you are just an employee. But if you own the rights, every time my music gets streamed, somebody you know, buys a vinyl or a digital copy, whatever, that money goes to my pocket. So this year, for uh, last year, for example, when all the touring stopped, I was every month making money off of my streaming. And that is really what kept me afloat. And I know a lot of other signed artists who are even bigger artists than me, and they're really struggling because they're depending on the live shows, on the income from the live shows, and they just use being signed to a label as a vehicle to make them famous. But they're now running out of cash flow. And the thing is, if, if you sign and you get that, that lump sum of money, right? You, you know, you buy a house, you give money to your family, you go shopping, you spend on your friends, blah, 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 blah. But then you're not gonna see money again up until there's a next contractual period, like you deliver another album, or you have a huge hit and you recoup. Because that money that label gives you, that's not free money, that's technically debt. It's not debt as in somebody comes and collects your TV if you don't pay, but the earnings of your music with, yeah, just the income, you have to recoup the money that they are 
fronted you. And the math is a bit tricky because if you earn a million dollars via your streams, depending on your deal, it doesn't mean you recoup a million. Usually you only recoup somewhere between 7% and 20% or 30% of that figure. And so you will be, these deals usually are designed in a way to keep you indebted for a long time. And that's how you have, you know, bands like 30 Seconds to Mars that have had, you know, sold millions and millions of records, but were still indebted to the label or somebody as big as Kanye, who is, you know, through fashion and everything else he does now a billionaire, but just his catalog itself is still in minus with Universal. And there's loads and loads of examples of that, you know. It's, I mean, it's up to everyone themselves what deal they sign, but um, I think only once you've been through it, you kind of understand really the technicalities. Whenever you hear an artist say, the label pays for it, don't worry, bro. It's like, nah, man, you're paying it, and you have to make probably somewhere between three and 10 times what you've just spent in order to make that money back. And that's a thing people are not aware of. So if I spend, I don't know, 50,000 on a music video, my music has to generate probably 200,000 to make back the 50,000 off of just one music video. Depending, it always depends on your deal, but that's roughly you're somewhere at like 20% recouping if you're a new artist. If you, you know, you have some leverage, you come in, you get 50%, 60%, 70%, 80%, but then it's a distribution deal. That's a whole different thing. Everybody has a very, very different situation and different needs, right? There's no point in, for example, owning your masters if you don't know what to do with your masters. Like, yes, you might own 100% of your music rights, but nobody's listening to your music. So you are probably better off only owning 20%, but, you know, you're now one of the biggest artists in the world and you can make money through other avenues. So every situation is unique, which is why I would never inherently be adamant about nobody signed to major labels. That's completely wrong. And I've definitely made also positive experiences with them. But I'm just somebody who's, you know, I'm very much uh, involved in the business and everything else. And just for me, that setup doesn't make sense.